Questions. All kinds of questions. And this morning we hopefully that we're going to answer one that's probably the most important question that you will ever answer. And here's the thing about it. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you are spiritually. This morning, everybody will have to answer the question. If you choose not to answer the question, you've answered the question. As simple as that. There's no negotiating. We answer a lot of questions in our lives. Uh, I've written some questions down. Some that are kind of really don't make any difference like, what shall I wear today? Uh, if you're in my house, my wife, I'm going to tell on her. She's not in this one, is she? Okay, she's, and so uh, she, the night before, she gets all her stuff out and she steams it and does all that stuff. And so when she gets up in the morning, she's ready to go. She gets, she's got to have to think about it. Most of us, I wake up in the morning, I do my Bible study, and then I go take my shower and I think, okay, what am I wearing today? Not a really important deal. And I don't know about your house. The next one is, where are we going to eat? Yeah, I don't know. I don't care, right? I mean, for the most part, men, that's what we say. Where, where do you want to eat? You know, it's where I asked you first. I mean, you know, it's the things, not real important. What are you going to watch on TV? What are you going to read? What blog are you going to read? What articles are you going to read? Really questions that really don't make a whole lot of difference. And then there's those that are interesting questions. Now, uh, this is scary, but also interesting. A uh, lady was behind me at the light over here on Still Street in 160 one morning, and she was putting on her eye makeup, and she was doing this. And I'm thinking, why do women have to open their mouth to put their eye makeup on? I don't get it. Or how about this? For women, this is a good one. Um, guys, how come we don't stop and ask directions? Now, I know the answer to that, okay? Um, I passed all those people, and if I stop and ask directions, I got to pass them again, right? I mean, that's mine anyway. Or how about, this is a silly one. If nothing sticks to Teflon, how can Teflon stick to a pan? Pretty intriguing questions, right? And then there's some really important questions like, will you marry me? Very important. Or how about... Honey, what are we going to name the baby? And in my house, that's what I said. What are we going to name her? Because she had all the names already. Or how about this one? And this is a real important one that a lot of us have had to answer. Doctor, what's the prognosis? So real important questions. And today, we're going to answer probably the most important one that you will ask. And so if you'll turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Now, normally I'm dealing with teenagers. They let me add my cage one Sunday a, a year, which is graduation Sunday. And I get to come in here. And the earlier service is a little more calm. And so I stuck to my notes. And I didn't rant like I normally do. And some who are in 180 know what I'm talking about. I'll get off on a... And, but we're not going to do that this morning. So... Wes, if I do it, snap your fingers, okay? So today, everybody's looking for Jesus. They're writing articles about him. They're making movies about it. You know, the real Jesus. And they always go to history, and they always go to archaeology. And I'm a history guy, and I love archaeology. I love those things. But they always seem to go to the wrong source. Because the right source is God's Word. Why would you not go to the right source to try and figure out who Jesus is when this book is written about him? 
One of the main reasons is a sly thing that the devil tries to do, that if he can get the historians and the archaeologists to agree that this is God or this is Jesus, they basically make God's word a lie. They basically say God is not really God, what makes Jesus not really Messiah. And if they can do that, then they don't have to answer the question. They don't have to sit back and go, I don't know what I'm going to do. So they fail to go to the wrong source just about every time the world does. And interesting enough, when it comes to relying on Christ, even those of us who are actually Christ followers tend to fall back on what we think, what we do. What should I do? My, I, I, I kid to the staff, but it's not really kidding. It's really serious. I live with the Holy Spirit. Her name's Trish. And so she's always asking questions like, did you pray about it? Did you, don't, don't you think we need to pray about this? I, 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 won't ta- I always share sto- personal stories, um, but I, and I promised I wouldn't do that this morning. Um, but just recently, I was making a huge decision, and my wife had to come in and sign something. She said, are we sure we want to do this? And I kind of went, oh, hold it. And we didn't do it. Because we always seem to fall back on ourselves instead of falling back on the real source. Now, it's interesting that if you really wanted to find out who Jesus was, you could just go to the Gospels. Very clear. And so what I've done here in the book of Mark, since we're going to do that, I'm going to go ahead and read uh, Mark chapter 8. It says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the, this is verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the village around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked, who do the people say that I am? I replied, Jesus, um, he replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you're the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them. An interesting word there, he began to. He wasn't teaching this before. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed after the third day after three days and rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside. And I smile about that because we're going to talk about that because we do this all the time. Jesus t- uh, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So the question is begged, who do you say that I am? But first, Jesus asked the first questions. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to have two questions, and then we got some good news and we got some bad news. Actually, the bad news is the good news. But we'll talk about that in a minute. So the first question is, who do they say that I am? And in verse 28 of chapter 8, it says, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. And still others, one of the prophets. I thought, okay, hold it. So what about the responses? Why did that happen? Where did it come from? Why do they think this? I mean, I don't know about you, but I believe truth. And I believe the truth that I believe is the truth, right? You believe the truth you believe is the truth. And sometimes those things clash. Well, they believe this truth for some reason. Well, the first actually part of this when they said, some say that you're John the Baptist... 
Um, one of the interesting things is they didn't say, because this was said twice in the New Testament, you're Beelzebub, the father of lies, the father of the devil. But Jesus already knew what the people that didn't like him said about him. He wanted to know what the populace said. He wanted to know what the opinion of the people that were following him, what they were saying. In Mark 1 and 2, it says this, King Herod heard of this, uh, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist had been raised from the dead, and that this was the miraculous power at work in him. So, John the Baptist, and actually this is a Gentile king, and when you're a king and you make a proclamation or you make a statement, everybody in the kingdom is supposed to believe you, right? I mean, that's what happens in my house. I'm the king, right? Yeah, right. But back then they did that. And so the Gentiles actually thought he was John the Baptist, which is pretty interesting because John the Baptist lived the same time that Jesus lived. They lived parable, uh, p- parallel ministries. John the Baptist had been beheaded by Herod, or by, uh, yeah, by Herod. And then all of a sudden, his spirit goes into Jesus. I mean, it doesn't even make sense to me that he would be John the Baptist. But that's exactly what the Gentiles thought. Uh, two things. Um, And this is a kind of a common thing that's going to run through what we're talking about this morning. There's two things about about being John the Baptist. Number one, um, he had to be the forerunner of Jesus, the Messiah. And the reason why is because they didn't want to say Jesus is Messiah. So he had to be the forerunner. Number two, he had to be raised from the dead because of all the miracles and all the things that he was doing, that he was performing. The second person that they said that he might be was Elisha. Elijah, excuse me, Elijah. Now, Elijah, most of you know the story in the Old Testament. Elijah was translated. He wasn't, he didn't die. He got on his chariot and he went to heaven, which would be pretty awesome. Or I think it would be awesome. I mean, I have to die. It'd be, it, it would, it'd be like the rapture or it'd be like going to sleep and not waking up. I mean, it'd be, you just don't, you wouldn't have no suffering. And I'm thinking that would be good. I don't like suffering. I don't know about you. Malachi 4, 5 says, Behold, I, st- I send you Elijah before the great and terrible day that the Lord comes. And so some of the Jewish people actually were listening to what Malachi said and said that this must be Elijah. And even to the point where if you go to a Passover meal right now in a Jewish home during Passover, uh, they will have the Passover table. And at the end of that table will be an empty chair. And that's the chair of Elijah. And they're waiting for him to come sit in that chair because if he comes sit in the chair, then Jesus is the Messiah, not Jesus, but Messiah is quickly going to come after that. So two things again. Number one, forerunner, not Messiah, but forerunner of Messiah. And number two, had to come back from the dead. And in his case, he didn't die, so he just had to come back from God. Now, the third thing is actually not in this chapter, but there are parallel verses in the New Testament. Um, there is uh, parallel uh, Matthew 16, and there's Mark 8, and then there's Luke 9. And in Matthew, for some reason, it doesn't say the same thing it says in Mark and Luke. Different personalities, different writers, and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But in Matthew 16, um, it says, others said it was Jeremiah. Okay. Jeremiah, why? What did Jeremiah have to do with anything? I mean, he was a weeping prophet, and 
He was sorrowful for it because he had judgment on, on the Jewish people. But bottom line is, um, um, I was raised Catholic. And so in my Bible that I was told I shouldn't be reading when I was a little boy, um, there's these books that are extra that I don't have in my Bible here. They're called the Apocrypha. And it's things that were written between the Old Testament and New Testament, actually some written during the Old Testament time also. But the biggest problem with them is they're extra biblical and they can't find out who the source of the book, where it came from. And so they're not in the canon. They're not in our Bibles. But they are interesting reading. They have a lot of good stories. And so to find out where Jeremiah came from, I had to go to the Apocrypha. And in the Apocrypha, there's about 18 books, I think, it might be 16. But anyway, um, there are uh, first, and, first and Second and Third Maccabees. And Maccabees was written about a, a leader in the Jewish um, realm um, named Judas Maccabeus. And Judas Maccabeus was this mighty guy, rich guy, had a control of a lot of things. And in these books, it has the story of Jeremiah. And they say that Jeremiah, before the destruction of the temple, went and got the Ark of the Covenant and the altar of incense, which were very important in their worship, and took them and went and hid them in Mount Nebo. Now you go, so what? That's what I'd be telling the youth about right now. Big deal. Well, they said because of that, that before Messiah could come back, Jeremiah was going to come back first, bring back the Ark of the Covenant, bring back the altar of incense, and put it in its place of worship because they were very, very important. One interesting thing as I was reading that, when Jeremiah was alive, they didn't like his message because it was a message of judgment. And so they threw him in a pit so they wouldn't have to listen to him. But now he's a hero. It's a little bit different. Our memories kind of fade a little bit as the story gets further and further and further away. Again, Jeremiah being the forerunner of Messiah and coming back from the dead to perform whatever thing he's needed to perform because of the miracles and the ability to do them. And then there's the last one, and this is actually in all three of the stories in the gospel. They said, and other prophets. Now, who are the other prophets? I don't know. As much reading as I had and as many theologians as I've read, they don't know either. I didn't even read any opinions on it. They all had it in there, but they just didn't know who they were. But I will tell you this. They had to be raised from the dead because of the miracles. And they had to be a forerunner of Jesus because Jesus wasn't Messiah. Now, that's the first question. I'm going to add some things to this because I also read some things as I was reading through studying this. And this is unusual. I got to study this for two weeks before I had to come up here and speak. And, and so I got to read a lot. And so I wrote down some things that other people were saying about who Jesus was through history. So Napoleon said, I know men and Jesus Christ is no mere man. Oh, and by the way. Um, Jesus Christ. Some people think Christ is his last name. You shall call him Jesus. Christ in Hebrew means Messiah. So Jesus Messiah is that word. Pilate said this man is without fault. Both those are kind of close. But 
John Stuart Mill, who's a philosopher, said, He is the guide of humanity. Lakey says, He is the highest pattern of virtue. These are all good things. Renau, the French atheist, said, He is the greatest son, uh, He is the greatest among the sons of men. That's really, for an atheist to say, is powerful. Francis Cobb says, The regenerator of humanity. Boy, that's close. Really close. Robert Owen said, he is the irreproachable one. And then, if you are as old as I am, or maybe close to old as I am, or maybe watch movies and stuff, you, in the 70s, they said he was Jesus Christ superstar. He is all those things. But they left out one name. They left out the most important name. That is the Christ. And so the second question is posed, but who do you say that I am? Okay, I know what the people don't like me say that I am. I hear what the people say that I am, but you guys who have walked around with me for two and a half years, and by the way, it took him two and a half years to make this confession. So he's on the end of his ministry. He's finishing up his ministry to Galilee, and he's going off to Jerusalem to suffer greatly, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So who do you say that I am? And I like Peter. I really like him. But the reason why I like him more than any other reason is because I'm kind of like him. So you have any questions? I got the answer. Do you think? I'm not kidding. Ask the staff. It's true. I, you, you have a problem and you want to discuss it? I already got the answer. Come on, let's do this. That's what Peter did here. He immediately doesn't hesitate. Doesn't say anything else. He just comes right out and says, you are Messiah. But it took him two and a half years to say it. After seeing all the things that he had done, um, he had just coming off the Galilee ministry and he, the feeding of the 5,000, which is probably more like 25,000. And people, mobs, throngs of people were following him around because he fed them. It was almost like welfare, kind of. And so they were going, hey, this is part of what we thought he was going to be. Now, so where's the white horse and where's the army and how's he going to take over Rome and how's he going to make his kingdom made known on earth so that the Jewish people could be lifted up because we're God's people, right? They weren't seeing any of that. That's why he wasn't Messiah. And so I've written down some things. Now, this, this is personal. I always, everything I do is personal. Um, and so I, you can hear what I say, but this is for me. He wasn't just the Messiah. <clears throat> He's the fulfiller of my hopes. He's the source of my salvation. He is the long-awaited king. He is the desire of all nations and all people. He's the one that the prophets spoke about that you read about in the Old Testament. He is the one that when they did the sacrifice, it pointed to him. He is the one that the psalmist sang about. He's the deliverer, and I just got the end. He is the one. 
I mean, he is it. He is everything. That's the good news. The good news is that he's Messiah. Because that's what they've been waiting for all this long time. Messiah. And I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know where you're spiritually at right now. But I remember back when I was... 20 years old. I didn't get saved as a teenager. I didn't get to be a teenager and be a Christian and have the benefit that some of our teenagers have today. But when I was 20 years old, a prison minister came and shared the gospel with me and said, is there any reason why you shouldn't accept Christ? I'm fixing to go off on a rant here. You didn't click. You didn't snap. Is there any reason why you shouldn't accept Christ? And I was this hippie kid back in the 70s. I was a drug addict and an alcoholic and had hair, long hair, and just wasted away because of everything that I had been doing in my life. And I looked at this guy who was a hulk of a man and said, I can't think of any. And I bowed my head. He said, pray this prayer. I've come to find out later that when I bowed my head is when I got saved. When I humbled myself before Christ, when I humbled myself before the throne, not when I prayed the prayer, and that's what we're so confused about today, not when I said, not when I walked out or went back to connect room, I don't know where you're at and all that, not when I got baptized like little Rhea did tonight, none of that. When I humbled myself before the throne, when I decided that I was not, you're not snapping, when I decided that I was not going to follow myself any longer, when I was going to follow Jesus at all cost. I mean, I, I kid all the time with the teenagers. I'm this old guy playing with teenagers. Who gets to do that? He's everything. The disciples had already affirmed that he was Lord. They had already affirmed that he was healer. They had already affirmed that he was the word of life. They said all these things already. They already affirmed he was Lord, but not Lord with a capital L, Lord with a small L. They called him master. They called him teacher. Some of you call him Savior and say that you have not accepted him as Lord yet. That's totally impossible. You can't do that. I've got to stick to my notes. And then Jesus says this really strange things. He says, he strictly told him not to tell anybody. How in the world do you do that? How do you go from telling Jesus he was the Messiah, he was the hope of everything you have, but you don't tell anybody about it? I, the early service, I, some of you won't remember like they remembered, but back in the 70s, uh, there was a guy named Don Francisco, and he wrote a song, I Gotta Tell Somebody. And it says, I gotta tell somebody, gotta tell somebody what Jesus did for me. I gotta tell somebody, gotta tell somebody, because Jesus set me free. But he tells them not to tell anybody. He tells the people that he heals, go home, don't tell anybody. And I'm kind of thinking, what is the deal? What's up with that? Well, in verse 31, it says, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And he spoke plainly about this. There was no confusion in his voice. That's the bad news. 
We've got the good news he's beside. We've got the bad news that he is going to die. Actually, the bad news is the good news. At least for me it is. And for those who follow him, he is also. So we're to the point where the question begs us to answer, who do you say that I am? So I've I've written some things down here about who some people say that Jesus is, and you'll know these people when I say him. The Muslim people say that he is Messiah, but he he was never crucified, and that he is certainly not the Son of God. I don't get this Messiah thing. I was just told that, actually. The Hindus just want to add him to the million of gods that they have, and they get to add him to that just so as to be sure, I guess, or safe or whatever. The Jewish people thought he was a great prophet and a great teacher, but he certainly wasn't Messiah. He certainly wasn't the Son of God. This is a weird one. And I don't, I'm, I'm not talking badly about people. This is just what they believe. Uh, the Mormons believe that God had sexual relations with his daughter Mary and had Jesus, his son, along with Satan, his son, also. That, uh, what? The atheists deny that Jesus ever, ever exists, most of them, not all of them. And the agnostics, they just don't know what to do with Jesus. They're confused. So the question is this today. Who do you say that I am? Jesus is asking the question to you. He's speaking to your heart. Who do you say that I am? I think we're confused in America. Another one interesting, I have some, uh, a nephew who married a young lady from Brazil who was a translator on a medical mission trip, and he met her and he married her. And when she came over to America from Brazil, she saw the way that we as Christ followers in America act, and she said, what is going on? This is not living separately. This is not taming your freedoms and your uh, liberties to follow Christ. This is not being sold out. This is not believing God's word even. And so who do you say that I am? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. And Father, we just we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you... Gosh, a long time ago came and did exactly what you told the apostles you were going to do. You were going to, be, you were going to suffer at the hands of the leaders. You were going to be put on a cross. And the third day you were going to raise again. Hallelujah. Amen. So that we can call you Messiah. Father, I pray for the hearts that are, one, that are here today that you would draw them. In Jesus' name. Amen.